0: All right, we ready to get into God's Word this morning, church? Amen. So we want to welcome everyone watching online. One more time, would you welcome our church online family? And uh, also... We also want to welcome our Evangel Woodbridge family. Let's welcome them as well. Pastor Leslie, happy Father's Day to you and all the dads watching right now live from Woodbridge. If you're new to our church, we want you to know we are one church in multiple locations. And we're so glad to have our Evangel Woodbridge family tuning in with us this morning. We are in a series of messages entitled, We Live on Mission. And, you know, when I think about Father's Day, when I think about our Heavenly Father, I want you to know something, that there's nothing quite like the words of a father spoken into your life that can make all the difference. And when I get to the end of my life, there are some words that I want to hear spoken by my heavenly father. They're found in the gospels. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to know whether you're a son, you're a daughter today, whether you've had a good relationship with your father or a a, a difficult one or an absent one, there is a heavenly father that loves you, that has a plan for you. And I believe that he desires to say those words to you if you're willing to follow him with your life. And if we want to do that, if we want to hear that, I believe that that is all connected to us living out the purpose that God has for our lives. Often, as parents, we can say to our kids, you know, you can be anything you want to be, or I want you to be anything you want to be. And you know what, for me, I'd love to be able to say that to my kids, but that's not really true. I don't want them to be anything they want to be or anything they could want to be. I want them to become everything God wants them to be. There's a big difference. Are you with me? And so we pray and we parent and we desire. And you know what? As your pastor, I don't want you to be anything you want to be. I want you to become everything God wants you to be. I want you to live out the purpose God has for you. I want you to understand that God has a calling on every one of our lives that are his follower. And that's why our value here at Evangel, one of our key values, is we live on mission. What that means is we live to fulfill the purpose God has for us. And that purpose is made known in his word clearly to live out the mission Jesus gave to his followers. And so if we're going to live out that mission, that purpose, and what is that ultimately? To make disciples of all nations, to help people come into a life-changing relationship with him. And if we want to do that, we can't do it on our own. It can feel intimidating. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel complicated. So in this series, we wanted to take time to give you four principles that can help us understand how to live on mission and how God can use us to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. So if we're going to do that, I want to review the the first few of the principles we've been talking about over the last two weeks. The first one, and you'll see these spell the word live, Uh, after these four weeks, we're going to have all four principles. But the first one is that we have to be led by the Spirit. I want you to know if we're going to live on mission, we can't do it alone. That's why Jesus said he wouldn't leave us alone. That he said he would send the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And when we live a spirit-led life, God can use us to impact lives in, in so many people that you would never imagine. The second principle that we talked about last Sunday is identify common ground. And common ground is the place that God has planted you with giftings and desires and hobbies and passions, how he's created you can actually become a bridge into the lives of others that don't yet know Jesus. And in that common ground, you can build relationship that can help people have a relationship with God. So identify common ground is so key. If you missed that message, go back and listen to it. Today, we're talking about this third principle, and we're going to lean into it today. And to lean into that, um, I I want to ask you to open with me to Luke chapter 15. And I want to pray before we get into this message— I said it in our first service, and I'll say it to you again. I believe everything hinges on this message today. I believe so much hinges on what we're going to talk about this morning, and I want to pray because I'm being honest with you. I know that if I just share these words, and if God doesn't show up and do something in our hearts, it'll all be for naught. It will all be for naught. I can't give you what we need to fulfill what God's word calls us to. We need God. We need him to do something. Are you with me today? I need him to show up in these moments as this word is being preached and meet us because the only thing that we'll do is God has to do something in our hearts today. He has to change our hearts. And if you're willing to ask him that bold prayer, would you pray this with me? So, Lord, I come before you, and, Lord, I'm the first one to line up and lift my hands and say, Lord, I need what this word says today. I need, Lord, what you were trying to show today. Help me, Lord God. Open my heart and speak to me today. And, Lord, even as I'm preaching this word, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you will pour out from heaven exactly what's needed to change and transform and help me to be more like you. Lord, I pray that for every person that's bold enough to want everything that you have for them. Oh, heavenly Father. Father, you said you would not withhold good gifts from your children. So come now, Lord God, and fulfill your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Luke chapter 15. Let's begin to look here in the text. And it says that Jesus is spending some time with some very interesting individuals. Verse 1 says, Luke 15, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So what's happening here? The Bible says that there's a group of people that are coming in that Jesus is somehow attracting, and they are not the attractive people of society. They are notorious sinners They are people with broken lives, people that are taking advantage of other people, and Jesus is eating with them, and he's spending time with them, pouring into them, speaking and teaching them, and the religious people of that day are very uncomfortable. Now, here's what strikes me. Jesus seems to be comfortable with those that the religious people are uncomfortable with. And I'm afraid today. Have I become like those religious people? that I'm uncomfortable with the kind of people that Jesus is comfortable with. And maybe there are some things in my life that I become comfortable with that Jesus is uncomfortable with. I don't want to reverse that. How about you? Lord, don't let me be comfortable in the areas that make you uncomfortable and don't let me be uncomfortable with the things that are close to your heart. I need your help, Lord. Show me what's going on here. So Jesus, in response to these religious leaders, in response to their complaints, he begins to tell a series of three stories. The first one is about a shepherd. Verse 4, it says that Jesus tells them a story or a parable, which is basically a story Jesus would use to help people understand God's purposes or God's character. In verse 4, it says, imagine there was a man, um, there was a hundred sheep, He was a shepherd. He owned them. One of them gets lost. What will that shepherd do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go into the wilderness and search for the lost one until he finds it? So Jesus gives him this question. Look, isn't isn't this what a shepherd would do if he had one sheep that gets lost out of his hundred? He would leave the 99 and he would search for that sheep. Then he goes on a few verses later, verse 8, and he says, now imagine there was a woman With ten silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light up a lamp and sweep the entire house and search high and low until she finds it? For some of you, you're thinking, one in a hundred, one in ten, how much does a sheep go for in these days? Is a sheep really worth that? You know, a coin, what kind of coin is that? Is it like a nickel or are we talking about something of value? I'm thinking that when I'm reading this. Jesus, come on. The shepherd would go after that one. This woman would go after that one. And then in both stories, Jesus says the same thing happens. They find it. They rejoice. And they call their friends and say, rejoice with me. That which was lost has now been found. So Jesus tells this story as a response to what is going on right in front of them. They're sinners, notorious people. And what Jesus is getting at is this idea of value. value. Here's what he says about value. This is what the, 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 the these two stories are showing. Number one, if it's valuable, it's worth searching for. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek out the sick, not the healthy. Second, if it's valuable, it's worth celebrating when it's found. So this is what Jesus is saying. And the problem here is that the... Religious leaders have made a decision in their hearts already. They've already made up their minds. And here's why they're complaining and frustrated with Jesus eating and spending time with these notorious sinners, tax collectors, the people on the fringes of society. Here it is. Ready? Because they're not worth it. Are you with me? They're not worth your time. They're not worth our time. How could they be worth your time? They're not worth it, Jesus. What are you doing? Do you know what kind of people these are? They're not worth it. That's why Jesus is speaking into their hearts, because there's a problem. Jesus starts speaking to them. Every story is speaking of value. Here's what Jesus is saying. You don't understand value like I do. You don't see value like I do. You're not grasping value in the right way. You know what they're doing? They're measuring things the way that the world measures them. And I want you to know how the world measures the value of a life or the value of so many things. Your value is determined by what you do. Your value is determined by what you do. Think about that. If you go to Google right now, and I'll encourage you, church online family, don't do this right now. Don't click away. I need you to follow me, okay? But listen, at some point, going Google, I did it. I said, list of most valuable people in the world. I wanted to see who would show up. Do you know who showed up? Bezos. All these people with these hundreds of billions of dollars of net worth, and I see this list of all the richest billionaires, and I said... Interesting. So as soon as I say who's the most valuable person in the world, it goes to monetary wealth. That's how we're going to measure. That's how the world measures it. What they've done has determined how valuable they are. And I thought, well, I mean, that's just how they're measuring it. But there's other ways to measure. it. What if we measured it by knowledge? How would that list look? Who are the most valuable people? Or of contribution to society, what would that list of value look like and I just got into that mindset of how does the world measure what's valuable and who's valuable and here's what I know beyond everything Jesus is valuing people differently than the world is valuing them he's valuing them in a completely different way and because of that it opens the door for us to really look and have to say Jesus Do I want to see people the way the world does, or do I want to see people the way you do? I want to learn to value people like Jesus valued people. I don't want to live my life with this idea, they're not worth it. You know, I uh, had a chance to read a lot of books that have you know, shape my life and leadership. But when it comes to the area of leadership, some of my favorite books are written by a pastor and author named John Maxwell. Has anyone ever heard of him? I've mentioned him on a few occasions. He actually used to be a pastor many years ago, and he uh, really moved over into the world of leadership in business, and he wrote so many books now on, on leadership. He's approaching 100 books. He has sold 26 million copies of his books. But he's a very strong believer, and he lives on mission every day, church. Are you with me? He has literally led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus through his life and through his influence and leadership. And I got to sit with him and hear about his burden for the lost and for all people. And he said one of the things that he has learned that he lives with every day is he said, I value everyone. I value everyone. And I said, yeah, me too. I'm a pastor. He said, he was talking to a pastor He said, here's the problem with the church and Christians. You don't value everyone. Often, by and large, we don't value everyone. I said, what do you mean we don't value everyone? Of course we, he said, no, you only value people who share your values and you try to fix everyone else. It still cuts me when I say it. He said, but look at Jesus. Notorious sinners. Look at Jesus prostitutes, tax collectors. He valued them more than we do. It broke my heart. It breaks my heart. We only value people who share our values. What could is it? We only love people that love us. I don't know. Jesus had something to say about that. That's what we get to this principle today. This is it's at the core of what it means to live on mission. My friends, we have to learn to value people the way Jesus valued them. We have to learn to do this if we're going to live out the purpose that he has for us. So what does it mean to value people? Come on, say that with me. Value people. What does it mean to value people? I want to give you three things here. First is we have to see them, see people as Jesus sees them. We have to learn, Jesus, give me your eyes. Help me to see people as you see them. Second, we have to learn how to serve people. As Jesus would serve them. Not just seeing them, not just I see you, but I'm willing to serve you. Because the servant isn't greater than the master. And Jesus said, if you're following me, you're going to become a servant to all. And finally, we have to learn to love people as Jesus would love them. I believe if these three things begin to happen, there is a way we begin to value people that goes beyond lip service. Are you with me? Or thinking that we're doing it, but we're not really doing it at all. Here's what happens, the power of these three things. When I see people, when I'm seeing, I'm understanding their value if I see them the way Jesus does. I'm understanding value in a way that maybe I don't right now. When I'm serving them, I'm adding value to them. That's what happened when Jesus ate with them. He was literally elevating them. He was preferring them. He was adding value into their lives by serving them, speaking to them, teaching them. And when I'm loving like Jesus loved, I'm demonstrating value. I'm demonstrating that value, the value that comes through loving them as Jesus would love them. If we're going to live on mission, we have to do that. When we say we live on mission, what that really means, and for some of you that maybe have been in the church for a while, it means we're living out the Great Commission. Do you know about the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, That's the great commission. That's what it means to live on mission. But I want you to know if we don't get this valuing thing right, if we don't begin to love people in the right way, then here's what can happen we can fulfill the great commission and miss out on the great commandment. Do you know that there isn't just a great commission, there's a great commandment? The great commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor. No, it doesn't really mean that, does it? To love your neighbor? as yourself, to value them as you would value yourself, to love them in that same way. Here's what I want us to do. If we're going to live on mission, let's fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Come on, let's not divorce them. That's what it means to value people. That's what it means to live on mission. That's what it means to walk this out. And so here, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is giving a master class in how to value people. Let's not miss this. And he's intensifying it. He gives two stories, a sheep and a shepherd, a coin and a woman. He said, okay, listen, now let's make it very personal. Let's continue on here. Let's look at down at verse 11, because Jesus then says, all right, here's my third story, my third parable. There's a father and two sons. Come on, on Father's Day, what's more personal than a father and two sons? To get at the heart of what it means to value people. So it says in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, give me my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth among his two sons. Now in that time, We understand the idea of having an estate or having um, an inheritance, having a will. In that day and age, uh, there was something called a birthright. And what that meant was the older son in the family was entitled to two-thirds of his father's estate, and the younger son would get one-third of the estate when the father died. It's it's not that you're never getting this before your father passes away. So this is so unorthodox what this son would do. He went to his father. He said, I want my share of the estate right now. Cash me out. In other words, I wish you were dead, dad. I want what's mine now. This is a ridiculous request. This would have caused the religious leaders to step back and say, this this is crazy. What did he do? What did he say? What, what, What? That's what he says. His dad cashes him out. Verse 13 says, a few days later, that younger son packed up everything he had, abandoned his family, and moved to a distant land. And what did he do? He wasted all his money on wild living. That word term, wild living, means wild living. He wastes his life away, wastes all his money, wastes his inheritance, everything. And what's he doing? Things that would break the heart of his father, for sure. Things that would bring shame and disgrace to his family. Things that would fulfill maybe every fleshly desire he had in his life. Things that are just about living in the moment. And he has no idea that every step he's taking, everything he's doing is diminishing himself. And it says, just as it always seems to happen. Just as his money's running out, his luck got worse and a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He loses everything. I mean, think about it. He's desperate. He has nothing left to show for it. He's wasted away. He's chased after pleasures that have left him empty and depleted. Listen, as I, as I share this, I mean, does someone's face come to your mind? Is there someone that maybe you've known, that you've loved, that you've watched go through the same cycle of destruction, of challenge And as much as you've wanted better for them, you've watched them just continue to become diminished, compromised, broken, doing things that you know that they never ever would have wanted to do. It breaks someone's heart to know this, if you know it, to experience this. For some of you, maybe that's been you. You've lived that life. In our last service, someone said, that's exactly where I was. And so here he is. He gets to a point of desperation And as many people do, if we get desperate enough, we're willing to compromise anything. And so what he does, he makes a choice. And remember, these are Jewish religious leaders. They have a strict law. They have strict dietary law. That will come in very important in just a moment. So it says, what he did was he went to a local farmer, a Gentile farmer, and he made himself a slave or a servant to him. And the man sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. This is the worst job anyone would have had in the house. This is the lowest job a servant would have had. But to make it a Jewish man going and defiling himself by feeding pigs every day, walking through their filth, spending time with them that up close, this is defiling you in every way you could be defiled. Compromising you in every way, you could be compromised. He's literally in the filth, in the muck, in the mud, in the in in everything's everything's backwards about this. This would have been repulsive for those listening to Jesus to hear. The level of just desperation and compromise. Man, he's done. He's done. Spiritually, he's cut off. He can't even go before God in their eyes because he's become so defiled. He's made a mess of his family. He's ruined his family reputation. He's left his inheritance. He's ruined everything. The Bible says he's so hungry and desperate that he's looking at what the pigs are eating and he begins to say, man, that looks tasty. Maybe I should start eating some of that. That's what desperation will do to you. But no one gave him anything. Here he is, hopeless, alone, afraid, whatever it is. He's fallen apart. And the Bible says then he finally came to his senses and he realized something. He said, at home, even a hired servant has enough food to eat. And they even have some despair and I'm dying of hunger over here. He said, so I have an idea. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both you and Evan and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son please take me on as a hired servant look at verse 19 here look at this i'm no longer what's that word worthy worthy worth e my worth has been eliminated i'm no longer worthy i no longer have any value i have nothing i am nothing I'm not a son anymore. I'm now just a servant. If I'm even a servant, will you please, Father, just let me come in and just be a servant in your house because I'm no longer a son. I'm not worthy anymore. Here's the question Is he right? Think about what he've done, he's done. Think about what he's been through. Think about all that he's gone through. Is he right? You know, there's a way I want to kind of understand this and help us answer that question. And Pastor Roy, if you'll join me, and I think we have a dad that's going to come. What's up, Bob? Good to see you, man. Happy Father's Day. Come on, let's 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 celebrate him uh, this Father's Day. <laughs> Good to see you, man. All right, here we are. Pastor Roy, if you'll hold these for me. And uh, I'm just going to tell you a quick story, Bob. Um, so take a look at these these dollar bills. So I went to the bank this week. And, I, and I, had a, I, I went to them with a mask on because you had to have a mask on. And I said, hey, listen, I have an interesting request for you. Never a good way to start a conversation at the bank. Just take that for what it's worth. But I said, I want you to give me the best $20 bill you have. And I want to get you to give me the worst $20 bill you have in the bank. So that's what they did. So these are the ones they gave. You could turn it now towards, t- towards him there. So these are the two 20s that I received, all right? So first thing I want to tell you is I want to give you twenty dollars today for Father's Day. That's for you, man. So the question is, which one would you like? Okay, all right, all right, good, good for you. So hold on to that. Now you picked one that's different than the one last service would have picked. So I'm glad to hear that. My second question: You can't get it until you answer this question correctly. Which one is more valuable? They're equal value. You sure? How are they equal value? All right. They're both exactly the same. You're absolutely right. You really want the raggedy one? You can have it, man. It's yours. Really? Yes, absolutely. Praise God. Um, it's yours, man. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> so listen. He got 20 bucks. Last service. I said, which one do you want? They said, I want, the, I, want the, I want the crisp one. I don't know about that one that's falling apart. The other one wants the other one. But listen, here's here's the question. Which one is more valuable? What's the answer? They're both the exact same value. But look at what that one had been through. Look at what it had been through. Look at what it had, I mean, come on, this one's all together. This one has it all together. That one's basically falling apart. How are you going to tell me that it's worth the same thing? And I'm looking at this and thinking about it, and I feel like the Lord put a word in my heart. Because... It's not about what it's been through. It's about what's imprinted on you. It's not about what it's been through. It's about what's imprinted on it. And because it bears this image, its value remains the same. Can I tell you the same is true for you? Because we can believe this about a $20 bill, but we can look at our brother and sister, and it doesn't seem to add up for us. That somehow, based on what they've been through, they're down here and I'm up here. But can I tell you today, it's not about what you've been through. It's about what's imprinted on you. And you bear the image of God if you're living and breathing today. You have a God who made you in his image, who says you are mine. He's the one that determines your value. Not other people, not other things, not the opinions of man. But he determines your value. And so we see this young man who picks himself up, full of mud, full of filth, full of brokenness, and he goes home. The Bible says while he's on his way home, while he's still far off, his father sees him coming, filled with love and compassion, runs to his son, embraces him, kisses him. And his, father, his son tries to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer being worthy to be called your son. And in that moment, his father stops him. He says, you don't define your worth, I do. And what does he do? He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We're celebrating. My son was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. The son comes and says, I have no worth. And the father says, you don't determine your worth, I do. And I'm telling you, you're a son, you're not a slave. Your worth is not determined by what you've been through, by what image you bear your mind. Someone needs to hear that today. Someone needs to believe that today. You believe that you have so diminished your life that no one could ever forgive you, no one could ever receive you. I'm telling you today that there is a God in heaven on Father's Day, a father that stands waiting to wrap you in his arms, that stands waiting to forgive you and redeem you and pick you up and give you a brand new life, to set you free from that which has been depleting your life forever. Today, there's a father that stands ready. His love is near to meet you in that exact same way. So come on, bow your heads with me right now. I just know that someone's here listening to me. Someone's in Woodbridge listening to me right now. And you need to experience the Father's embrace. You need for your life to be met. That's why Jesus told this story. He needed us to understand that no one's too far from the Father's embrace. No one's too far from what our Heavenly Father can't do. And He's willing to meet you right where you are and transform you in a moment if you'll surrender to Him. So if you know you're far from God, but you're ready to come home. You're only a heart's turn away. Pray this prayer with me on Father's Day from the bottom of your heart to say I'm committing my life to Jesus. Wherever you are, watching online, Woodbridge here, say this from the bottom of your heart. Pray with me, dear Jesus. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. Come and meet me today. Forgive me. Give me a brand new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, meet them right now. May they feel the joy of heaven, the celebration of heaven, Lord God. The angels rejoicing because they were dead and now they're alive. They were lost and now they're found. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone, just look up at me right now. This is the moment of rejoicing. I mean, this. I wish the story ended here. But it doesn't. Because there's one more person in the story. And it's the older brother. It's the one sitting in the house. It's the one who's been there all along. It's the one who's been there and is going to look at this situation and not see it the way that Jesus is describing it or the way the father is celebrating it, they're going to see it in a different way. And so this son shows up, sees the celebration, says, what's going on? They said, your brother's back. Your father's killed the fattened calf. And this older son, who's been so obedient, who's done all the right things, who knows what a mess this brother has made, who in his own heart of hearts, what I'm sure say, welcome him back, but I liked his plan better than your plan, Dad. Make him a servant. Make him earn his way back. Make him, come on. No, no, no. We're not ki- killing the fattened calf. Are you kidding me? I mean, he had it all figured out, this brother. And his dad was ridiculous for what he was doing. So he refused to participate. He stood out in the street, disconnected from the celebration, disconnected from the heart of his father, disconnected from so much of this. Why? Are you saying this, Pastor? Why has your heart been heavy about this message? Because I'm afraid that it's easy for us to be sitting in the house of the Lord and actually have hearts that are disconnected out in the street somewhere, far from what Jesus feels about this. And I just need the Lord to meet us in this moment, to speak to us, to realize something. In these last few minutes of this message, I want to share a video with you. And it took place right here in our sanctuary A couple years ago, we had a prayer meeting. We had Pastor Jim Symbol of the Brooklyn Tabernacle came and preached. Powerful message. Altars were full that night. But he shared a personal testimony of his life, of a moment where he was kind of living like the older brother as a pastor. And man, it so gripped my heart, and I pray it's going to speak to you today because I believe what he experienced, God wants to do in our lives as well. Amen? So let's just take a look. Let's look at what Pastor Symbolist shares, and then we're going to pray.
1: So I'm sitting on the edge of a platform higher than this in a building where Rick used to play. And, and in the middle aisle, about three rows back, is African-American guy looking wasted. And I look at him, and he's sheepishly looking at me, got his cap, filthy cap in his hand. So he seems like he wants to talk to me. So I, call, I go, come on. So he walks up to me, gets about five feet away from me and I'm overwhelmed that's the nastiest smelling human being I've ever smelled in my life obviously he's living in the street what I didn't know he was living he was laying on the side of our building in his own urine right before the meeting I know we've all smelled bad smells that's the nastiest smell I ever smelled in my life I couldn't even look at him and inhale I would turn away to inhale I go what's your name David Where'd you sleep last night? Abandoned truck. How come you're not in a shelter? Too dangerous. Almost got killed in one. I reach in my back pocket. I take out some bills. I put it out to him. He pushes my hand down. And he goes, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus you were talking about. He said, I don't need your money. I'm going to die out there. I need this Jesus you're talking about. I needed God, not Him only. I lifted up my hands and I started crying like a baby and saying, God, I've become my own worst nightmare. Religious, but with no heart. Sermons, but no compassion. Please forgive me and fill me with your love. Please. I started to cry, look at me everybody, he knew something happened. I'm telling you, God baptized me with his love. I know he did. David came closer and fell on my chest, he started crying. I'm crying. I wrap my arms around him, he wraps his arms around me and we just start rocking, back and forth. I'm repenting, he's repenting, (laughs) it's like a, a repentance party and I'm 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 just saying, God, forgive me, please. He sent somebody to me, and I want to give him some money to get him away from me. What's happened to me? What, What am I, lost my mind? Suddenly, the best I can tell you, I sense God say to me, you see the smell? That's what I called you to. If you don't embrace that smell, I can't use you. I'll put you on the shelf. Because the whole world smells like that to me. And I still sent my son. I led him to Christ. He led me to Christ. (laughs) I'm just thinking that. I led
0: him and he led me. Amen. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me today? What a testimony. Amen. Not only did that night David get saved and give his heart to the Lord. But he then began to work at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He then became a pastor. Pastor Rick worked at the Brooklyn Tabernacle with David. David now pastors a church here in New Jersey where God's using his life. Come on, don't tell me that God can't move in somebody's life. But the scariest part of it is it would come into even a church. I told you 53% aren't even coming into the church and we could still miss it. Oh God, I need you to do for me What we just heard about in this testimony, baptize us in your love, Lord. Show us, Lord God. Meet us, fill us. The son that stood in the street, the father came out and pleaded with him, and said, son, everything I have is yours, but you have to look and see. This brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. You need to have a revelation, son that my love is different than what you are experienced with. It's different. And so I've had this bold prayer. I've just had this vision in my heart over this past week. I said, Lord, how can we value people? How can we do this? Heavenly Father, how? And the only answer, the best I can tell you is this, that if we have a revelation of the Father's love today, that if he would literally meet every person that would cry out to him and pour out his love in our hearts, then I believe we have a chance to begin to see people the way he does. So listen, I want to give an altar call, and that's the way we're going to end this service today. And listen, I want to talk to the dads. I want to talk to the men. I want us to be a church full of spiritual fathers like that one out in the streets looking and ready. I want us to have spiritual moms and others, every single one of us, that are not so afraid of the messiness That father jumped on his son. Do you remember? That son was filthy in the pigsty. Do you think he took a shower before he came home to his father? He didn't even have two pennies to put together. And his father didn't care. He tackled him. He hugged him. He kissed him. That stench meant nothing to him the same way. We heard about that stench. The pastor symbol was talking about. I want you to know Jesus died for that. When I tell you about the value of a life, the value of a person, what is that list? I told you about that list earlier today. How would, how would we quantify it? I mean, we understand the list of financial wealth. We understand maybe education. But I truly believe if we want God's list, God, there's 7.9 billion people in the world. Lord, would you help me see how valuable is each person? And I promise you this, I believe it with every fiber in my being that that list is a 7.9 billion way tie. That every person in this world is valuable to God. Every single one. I'm I'm telling you, it might go against everything in you, but here's how I know it. Because God has placed a value on every life. We don't place value on life. He does. And he made a decision about the value of every life in this world. Do you know what that value is? It's the cost of his son's death on the cross. That's the value of every life. They were worth the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the value God places on your life, on mine, and on every life living and breathing, every life in a womb, every life that's strung out and broken on the side of the road, falling apart, every life that has made terrible decisions, every life that has billions of dollars in the bank account, God values them with the price of his son. And I just want to be a follower of his that has the same heart that that father has, that's going to stand in the street and see people and love people and serve people the way the father does. So today, I know I need this. I need God to do something fresh in my heart. And if you need that as well, I want to just invite you to come to this altar. Get to that altar in Woodbridge. Walk up towards the front if you're in an overflow space. But would you just come? And I'm going to pray that God is going to fill us with his love. Give us a revelation of his love. Come on, don't feel embarrassed or or, or held aside. If you know you need this word today, if you know you need God's help, if you want to see people and love people and serve people the way that Jesus did, then just come to this altar right now. And we're going to pray in this moment. If you can't get to this altar, lift your hands to heaven right now? And would you begin to cry out to God and say, Jesus, help me. Maybe you heard that word and you said, yes, i become my my own worst enemy. I don't see people the way you do anymore. I judge people and I look down at them and I, I value them differently. Lord, help me. Burn away prejudice. Burn away things, Lord, in my life, Lord, that's getting in the way. Oh, Jesus, I need to see them like you do. Oh, Lord, come and fill me with your love today. Come on, is there more that need to come? Come from the balcony, if that's you. Come right now, just begin to lift your hands to heaven. And let's just begin to cry out to the Lord in this moment. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're so worthy, Lord. Come on, every hand that that would say amen to this prayer, I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now. If you need the Lord's help, if you want him to fulfill this prayer in your life, for him to fill you, I believe, with a fresh baptism, of his love, his love being poured out in your life, we're gonna pray right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, come now and meet us in this moment. Lord God, come now, and with your heart, with your love, with your compassion, show us your heart, Heavenly Father. On Father's Day, soften our heart quicken our hearts. I pray for every father, Lord God. Shape their heart, not by the example of their earthly father, but by the love of their Heavenly Father. Help people to know, Lord God, their worth is not in what they've done or, or how lost they are, it's by how loved they are by You, Lord God. That You see them, that You love them, that You died for them, Lord God. Give us, give us Your eyes, Jesus. Help us, Lord God, to see and love the way you do. Help us, Lord God, to value those in this world that you've died for in such a way, Lord God. Maybe uncomfortable to some, Lord God, but I pray, Jesus, what's comfortable to you would be comfortable to us. That our heart, Lord God, will not turn away from those, Lord, who your heart is for, who you've loved, who you've died for. Oh, Jesus, help us today. Thank you, Lord God, that you're ministering to hearts. Thank you, Lord God, that you're softening us in your presence. Thank you today, Lord God, that you're pouring out your love, Lord God, on those that have hurt, on those that have hang-ups, of those that feel far, of those that need a touch from you today, Lord God. Thank you that you're doing the good work that only you can do in the hearts and lives of your people. I thank you today. That, Lord God, you're setting people free, free to see, free to experience the things that you have for them. I pray this Father's Day, Lord God, would your love do a deep work in our lives that would change us forever and ever we pray. In Jesus' name, we thank you. In Jesus' name, we love you. Hey, listen, we're going to continue to pray at these altars. Uh, We want you to press in. The worship team's going to lead us. If you're parents and you have to pick up your kids, feel free to slip out. If you got to go, you're good, but we're going to keep pressing in to whatever the Lord wants to do today. Let's continue to respond as the worship team leads us.